I hope you do. Open it to Luke 18, verses 1 through 8. 1 through 8, I'm sorry. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Amen. Thank you, Kevin, for reading that for us. And it is good to be together, excited to be starting uh, a new series this morning called Don't Lose Heart. And it can be easy to lose heart, can't it? (laughs) To throw in the towel and give up. Friends, it was the first week of school this week. Anybody already ready to throw in the towel? No? Well, that's good. A few folks aren't anyway. Maybe I saw a couple couple little, I'm going to put the hand up because... Maybe the circumstances of your life aren't what you hoped for. Maybe you've been wrong and it appears justice will never be done. Maybe you're behind and it's unclear if you'll ever be able to catch up. Maybe you feel like you're drowning and you're unable to rise above the waves. And wherever you find yourself, God wants to speak to your soul with a few simple words over the next few weeks. Don't lose heart. Or to quote the infamous Dory the Fish here, when life gets you down, you know what you got to do? Just keep swimming, just keep swimming, just keep swimming. So over the next few weeks, I want us to look at a few passages that call us to press on, to not give up, to keep on swimming in our walk of faith. And this morning, we come to the words of our Savior as he's journeying toward Jerusalem. And he's near the last week of his life. And he tells a parable to his followers. And the point is to pray and not lose hearts. And in this parable, Jesus is calling us to be fervent, not slack in prayer. To prioritize prayer and to give ourselves toward it above all else. And not simply to prioritize prayer, but to persist in it. To continue in it. To remain steadfast in it. Jesus wants us to pray and not lose heart. And in fact, that is as your first point says, the point of the parable. Pray and don't lose heart. I love when Luke just comes right out and tells us right there in verse 1. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. I love it when the Bible's like, hey, in case you missed it, here's the point. (laughs) Pray and don't lose heart. And the parable starts with a situation you may relate to. A corrupt judge and a woman done wrong. And we learn in verse 2 that this judge doesn't fear God, nor does he respect or have concern for man. In other words, he's living in open disobedience to the first and second greatest commandment. He doesn't love God, and he doesn't love his neighbor. He's only in it for himself. And this is the problem of the parable. There's an unrighteous judge. There's a crooked man in a place of power. We can relate to that, can't we? 
<laughs> there are crooked people at the top. And this widow we get introduced to, she is a model to us of not losing heart. In fact, she is the protagonist of the parable, the hero, the protagonist, the one we're to model. She keeps coming to the judge and says, give me justice in my case. We don't get the specifics of how the adversary wronged her. We don't get a name for this woman, but the judge appears to be aware and she keeps putting the story in front of his eyes. She may have been outside the courtroom every day. She may have written him notes. She may have seen him out at the grocery store and come and talk to him about this. She is not like many widows we think of. We think of widows as beaten down, despondent, and hopeless. But she is a picture of faithful persistence to a just cause. In fact, let me add that women are often commended in the scripture for their persistence and their perseverance. I can mark down a couple places here, and you can look at these later today. But in Mark chapter 5, we read about a woman who had an issue with blood for 12 years. She pursued doctor after doctor, and, it, and she was worse off after seeing all the doctors than when she began. And yet, she came to Jesus. Think about that. All that's been done to her, she says, I'm still going to go to that man. I'm still going to go and get healed by him. And she persevered and by her faith was made well. Matthew 15 tells of a persistent Gentile mother who was going to do anything to get her demon-possessed daughter to Jesus. And we even see at the end of Jesus' life that there were some female disciples who persisted in caring for him, even through all the events of his death. Matthew chapter 27, verse 55 and 56 says this, There were also many women there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Joseph and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. See, these women had followed him all the way from Galilee. That's the start of the gospel. And we're now at the end of the gospel, and they'd been with him through it all. All that to say, persistence is an act of faith. And while the scriptures do show us persistence with both men and women, we see that the gospels put the emphasis on the persistence of these women of faith. And so let me say this, men, when you see persistence in your wife, mother, daughter, when it's for a good thing that they're persisting in, that's something to admire, celebrate, and encourage, not to go, this again. (laughs) When it's for a good and just cause, let them persist. They're modeling what Jesus would call them to when they're persistent for the sake of truth and goodness. And this widow in the parable is just one in a long line of faithful, persistent women. She kept going before this judge, seeking justice. And for a while, the judge refused. And maybe she was tempted to give up. I don't know. We don't don't get to know much about her thoughts, but for a while, she just wasn't getting through. But she kept knocking kept pursuing, kept praying. And one day something changed. Luke 18, verse 4. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. You see that? He's like, she's annoyed me to the point of giving in. 
And Jesus would have us stop and reflect on the judge's words. Right there at verse 6. Hear what the unrighteous judge says. He says, hey, put an exclamation point here. Give attention to it. Give a point to ponder here that this judge could be worn down by this widow. First, this tells us just how wicked this judge is. <laughs> he, he doesn't fear God nor respects man, and he actually says that about himself. Imagine that. He says, I know I'm this way. I know I'm crooked and wicked. He, he, some people would have probably tried to make excuses for him, but for the, there is no excuse for this judge. <laughs> But we should note that even the unrighteous, unjust, selfish judge could be made to act on behalf of the widow when he's annoyed into doing so. (laughs) Even the most crooked leaders can do right if it's for their own convenience or comfort. Amen? We certainly have seen leaders do good things in order to get their constituents and other people off of their back. Justice can be brought through a twisted arm... Though this isn't the way we would want justice to come. And then Jesus gives the lesson. Every parable has a punchline. And here's the punchline of the parable. Jesus will come, but will he find faith? Jesus is going to bring perfect justice, not by twisted arm, but out of his just nature. But is he going to find faith when he comes? Look at verse 7. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Luke connects Jesus' teaching here in chapter 18 back with his teaching in the previous chapter, chapter 17. And you can read that later today. But there, from verses 20 to 37, he talks all about the second coming of Jesus and the arrival of his kingdom. And the punchline to the parable is this. God will bring justice, and he will give it speedily when Jesus comes. But when he comes, is he going to find faith on the earth? Is he going to find us being like this widow, believing and knocking and pursuing? Will he find us praying and not losing hearts? And this may seem like kind of an unusual parable at first. You may be asking the question that's there in the notes, what does this really have to do with persistence in prayer? I mean, sure, you might read it and think for a second, sure, we should be like the widow. And that's true, but is there more to the story In fact, I believe there is. I believe this parable encourages us to pray and not lose heart in three primary ways. And the first way that we're encouraged to pray and not lose heart is by recognizing that our God is not like the judge. Our God is not like the judge in the parable because our God is not unjust. Our God is not unjust. We're told that this earthly judge didn't fear God or care about man. And the Proverbs tell us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and righteousness. In other words, no fear of God, no justice. But our God is just. Look at this from Proverbs 29, 26. This is so much hope in this verse. Many seek the face of a ruler, but it is from the Lord that a man gets justice. You may seek it, and in this world you may not get it, but from God you are going to get justice one day. He is holy, perfect, without blemish or defect. 
Psalm 9 offers us an incredible picture. Look at this, Psalm 9, 7 and 8. But the Lord sits enthroned forever. Let me tell you, he, he has no term limits. He will not be voted out. He will not be done away with. He is on his throne forever. He has established his throne for justice, and he judges the world with righteousness. He judges the people with uprightness. God is not like the judge. He is just. He judges with uprightness. He judges the world in righteousness. He will do what is right. We read that in our journey through Genesis where Abraham asked the question, shall not the judge of all the earth do what's right? And the answer is, of course, he can do nothing else. Our God is not like the judge. He's not unjust. But we also see that God's not like the judge because second, God is not indifferent. God is not indifferent. The judge in the parable didn't fear God. He didn't care about the sufferings of others. He especially didn't care about some seemingly insignificant widow. She probably didn't give to his campaign. She probably wasn't going to be much of a voice to bother him, really, in the grand scheme of things. In these days, widows would have had no power. Yet Psalm 9, rightly on the heels of displaying God's justice, also displays his kindness toward even the smallest one of us. Psalm 9, verse 9 and 10. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. See it, he is on the side of this widow. He's on the side of you if you are oppressed and in need of a stronghold. Those who put their trust in you, he has not forsaken those who seek him. But look back at how the unjust judge speaks about the widow. Chapter 18, verse 5. Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. The judge only cares about this because she's bugging him. She's beating him down. He almost says, I know this was the right thing to do originally, and I'm only going to do it because she won't let me sit on the couch and watch Netflix by myself. She's outside my house. She won't leave me alone. And friends, let me tell you, God is not indifferent to us. God is not, the reason Jesus tells this parable is to remind us to give a stark contrast that God is not like this judge. He hears our cries and we cannot bother him. God cannot be beaten down. Isn't that such good news? He isn't sitting up in heaven watching Netflix. He isn't bothered when we come to him and he isn't going, ah, them again. Friends, he isn't bothered because he is upholding the whole world by the word of his power. He can handle your problems. And he's not annoyed by them. Our God doesn't, our God isn't bothered when we come to him. In fact, he invites us to come to him all hours of the day. Look at the picture we're given. You can hold your place in Luke 18. And look at this over in Isaiah 62. It's one of my favorite passages on prayer. Isaiah chapter 62. We get this picture. On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen. All day and all night, they shall never be silent. 
You shall put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest, and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. He says, these people are going to be like watchmen, set on the walls, and rather than watch out, they're going to pray day and night. They're going to give God no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and keeps his promises. Friends, that's an invitation to you. God doesn't sleep or slumber. Give him no rest. He literally has a 24-7 helpline. And not like the 24-7 helplines you get in other places where you don't get a lot of help on them, right? Doesn't this sound just like Luke 18, verse 7? And will God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? God's people are to give God no rest. Our persistence shows our passion. Do we really want what we ask? Will we give God no rest and cry to him day and night? God is not bothered. God cannot be beaten down. And friends, we don't twist his arm. We don't annoy him into submission. We don't beat him down until he makes things go our way. We aren't children throwing a tantrum until the exhausted parent gives us what we're crying about. That isn't how this works. But rather we're crying before a good and just judge who has promised to respond because he is the kind and loving king. Our God is not like the judge. He's not unjust. He's not indifferent to our suffering or to your suffering. And the clearest place this is seen where his justice and his concern are displayed is in the cross. There, God punishes sin and displays mercy to sinners. There, as Romans chapter 3 says, God is both the just and the justifier of those who have faith in Jesus. Our sins are truly punished and dealt with. They're not swept under the rug or left off the hook. Jesus walks in and pays our fine with his death on the cross. Justice is done. Yet simultaneously, the mercy of God is displayed because since sin is dealt with on the cross, we can be forgiven and reconciled to God and adopted into his family. God is both just and the justifier of those who have faith in Jesus. And this is why we can pray and not lose heart. We come to a just judge who promises to bring justice on earth. And we come to a loving father who will take care of his kids according to his wisdom and love and according to his will. He's not crooked, he is not bothered, and he is not limited in his power or love or grace. And that should propel us to pray. We pray and we don't lose heart because our God is not like the judge. But there's more. We pray and don't lose heart because second, we are not like the widow. We are not like the widow. See, the judge didn't really care about the widow. He doesn't even seem to know her name, much less care that justice is done for her. He just wants to be left alone. But friends, God's not like the judge, and we're not like the widow. In fact, we're told in the text, we are God's elect. We're God's elect. That's right there in verse 7. Look at this. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? We are his elect. Now, some folks start to get uncomfortable in church when you start using the word election or elect. They start getting real squirmy. What's the pastor about to say? 
Do I got to start looking for another church? You know, they start getting all squirmy. Friends, there's no need to be uncomfortable about something the Bible speaks regularly about. <laughs> In fact, we'll never truly understand the depths of God's love for us until we consider that God pursued after us before we ever pursued after him. Because God has elected us out of love. Consider Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Look at this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Then he goes on to list some of these spiritual blessings. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he blessed us in the beloved. He says to be God's elect is to be blessed with a relationship with God. To not be like the widow without a name, but to be adopted as God's child. God knows your name. And he's known it from before the foundation of the world. You're not a stranger to him. He's not gone, who's this? He's not getting one of those weird calls from you like, I don't know this number. (laughs) Friends, he knows your number because he knows your name and he knows every hair on your head. We've been chosen to be holy and he loves us. And it begins with a one-way love. That God loves and elects and pursue before we've done anything. And once you realize you're loved with a one-way love, it changes everything. Because so many of us believe that, well, as long as I'm walking in the right way, God's going to love me. Friends, if I'm showing up on Sunday and showing up on Wednesday and reading the Bible, as long as I'm working real hard and sweating hard, he's going to love me. Friends, the good news is God loved you before any of that. He loves you even when you forget to do any of it. A one-way love that began in eternity. We're not like the widow. We're God's elect. And to be his elect means we're among his nation, his priesthood. We're a people of his possession. We're to proclaim his greatness to the world. We're his people. We've received mercy. And oh, how this should lead us to pray and not lose heart. Because friends, it's good when the sovereign judge of the universe is also your loving heavenly father who has adopted you and chosen you and gave his one and only son in order to purchase you to be his. We can bring him our stuff. Big Small, significant, insignificant, moments of pain, moments of joy. The one upholding the universe is also a friend holding your hand. And he wants you to share with him in the midst of your need. He loves you. And we come to a heavenly father who loves us, who's chosen us, who's been merciful to us, and we have access and can come boldly before him. Paul actually says this later in Ephesians chapter 3. Look at this. This was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you, here he uses the same words as Luke, not to lose heart over what I'm suffering, which is for your glory. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Don't lose heart. We have boldness and access and confidence before God through faith in Jesus Christ. Don't lose heart in your suffering, but like the widow in Luke 18, persist in prayer. God's not like the judge. We're not like 
the widow. And finally, we can pray and not lose heart because Jesus will return and set all things right. Jesus will return and set all things right. This is exactly where Jesus closes the parable, doesn't he? Verse 8, Luke 18, verse 8. I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Jesus is coming to bring justice on earth. And he says he's coming to do it speedily. And friends, God doesn't relate to time quite like we do. He's not in as much of a hurry as we are because, you know, being the whole sovereign creator of the universe thing, you just, you just aren't as concerned about stuff as we are, right? <laughs> and it may come in this life, but it often comes in the next. But it tells us here, Jesus will most assuredly bring justice when he returns. And it can be hard to wait on God But Luke 18 is assurance that all who wait will see the wonderful work of God. When Jesus returns, he's going to set all things right. In fact, the second coming of Jesus was what he was talking about right just a chapter before over in Luke chapter 17 where we read about Jesus' kingdom coming unexpectedly. He says, hey, Pharisees, they ask him when the kingdom's coming, and he says, the kingdom is right here among you because I'm here Where the king is, there's the kingdom. But he says, there's also a day coming when I'm going to bring the kingdom in fullness. It's going to arrive with me, and all's going to be different. And he says that this coming is going to come in the days of Noah and the days of Lot. Days which were incredibly wicked and unjust. But what's really interesting is what he puts the emphasis on. If you go read... He talks about the days of Noah and the days of Lot, but he doesn't put an emphasis on how incredibly wicked and unjust those days are, but how normal they were, how boring they were, how much those days are just like your life. Let's look at just a short section here in Luke chapter 17. Look at this. He says this, they were eating and drinking, marrying and being given in marriage. Sounds like a Saturday in the summer, right? Just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating, drinking, buying, selling, planting, building. Sounds like a normal day here in Cades. Eating, drinking, planting, building. I tell you, in the day, there'll be two in two in one bed. So he's like, hey, there's going to be a couple, and they're going to be taking a nap. Sounds like a normal Sunday afternoon. One will be taken, the other left. Then there will two women grinding together. This is making their food. They're cooking, right? And one will be taken and the other left. This is, he's, he's putting an emphasis on how normal it is. Jesus could come into the midst of just a normal Sunday afternoon. And here's his point. Here's his point. In trial or in typical, will we pray and not lose hearts? <laughs> Whether you're in deep trial or you're just in the typical throes of life, will we pray and not lose hearts? This may strike us for a number of reasons, because some of us, when we have a purpose, a burden for justice, we're like the widow in the parable, it can be easy to stay awake and plead for justice. It can be easy to get all worked up and, well, my life's not going right, so I'm going to get up at 4 a.m. every morning, I'm going to read the scripture, I'm going to get into this, I'm I'm going to really put God first in my life because life's not going well. For others, it can be in their moment of greatest trial that they lose hearts, right? Some of us, when we get in trial, we get all worked up. 
And that's when we get persistent. But for others, trial can really lead us to kind of give in and soften a little bit. On the flip side, there are those of us when, when life is good and boring, that's when our faith is the most solid. Friends, when we got food to eat, things are going good, nothing's falling apart, the kids aren't screaming, life's great, right? That's when I can really pray and persist because life's good. Whereas for others of us, when, when life dulls, our faith dulls. And Jesus wants to speak to both people. No matter when he comes, whether in the midst of oppressive injustice or on a quiet Sunday afternoon, if the Son of Man returned, would he find us with the same persistent faith? When he comes, will he find faith on earth? Will he find us like the widow in a persistent praying faith? A faith founded on the righteousness of Jesus alone. That's, that's actually what Jesus goes on to talk about later in verses 9 to 14. Is all about what this faith is rooted in. And it's not rooted in your own works. But it's rooted in Jesus and the character of God who's not like the judge. Rooted in the reality that though we are sinful, we're loved with an everlasting eternal love. A love that led Jesus to die and to rise again in order to win us eternal life. We're not like, we're just not, we're not some widow that God's indifferent toward. And Jesus is returning. And if you're burdened by deep injustice, pray, persist in prayer. Give God no rest and know that he will answer according to his will and time. But if things are good, Maybe you're not really all that bothered. Maybe nothing's really going wrong in your life. Things are quiet. Continue to persist in prayer for others, for the kingdom, for the church, for your pastor, for families in this church. Give God no rest. Pray and do not lose hearts. Have we made prayer a priority? Are we known as a people who cry to him day and night? Or do we just come to him when things are bad? We only ever complain. <laughs> we don't ever come and celebrate. Or maybe we're people who only come to him when things are good, and we're like, well, I don't want to give my bad to him. Friends, are we people who cry to him day and night, in season and out of season, whatever we find ourselves in? Let me consider having you attend prayer night this Wednesday, because, friends, Corporate prayer is like a match on a bunch of dry wood. Friends, when, and it all burns together and the fire is meant to continue. Jesus said his father's house would be a house of prayer. Is our house a house of prayer? When you're bored, whatever that means, is the first thing to do to go, well, I guess I'm just going to try to scroll through YouTube. Maybe I'm going to go on the Facebook or the Instagrams and just mindlessly scroll or... Do we turn to prayer? What about your morning or evening commute when it's quiet and you're, you're, you're de-stressing from the day or you're preparing for the day? Maybe that's the perfect time. What about throughout your work day as that one coworker is really grinding on those nerves? Don't look around. That's not the time to look around at other people, right? Or, or you're at home with the kids, and man, if those kids, if those kids want to put on Hello Kitty one more time right? You're just so upset, and you're, but you pray in those moments. When you lay the kids down for a nap, if your kid's at home, do you make use of that time to pray? Is the conversation with your king 
ever going. If the Son of Man were to return today, would he find faith in this church? A faith that persists in God-glorifying prayer. May it be said of us that Crossroads cried to God day and night, and that he will not delay long over us. Let us stand and let's pray together. Father God, you are not like the judge in the parable. (laughs) And we're also thankful for who you are. We come right now not even asking for anything, but simply to recognize that you are good and kind, that you're not indifferent to us, that you don't close your ears to us, that that we're not some people that are bothering you or, or or making you feel like we're continually beating you down, but that you delight to hear the prayers of your people that you love us and have given us eternal comfort and grace. You've sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for us, to secure both eternal justice and eternal mercy for all who place their faith in you. You're both the just and the justifier of those who have faith in Jesus. And we thank you for that. And Lord, we pray in light of that and in light of the fact that you will return one day, that we'll be a people who will give you no rest. We'll be people who pursue you and cry out to you and who give praise for who you are. And I pray today, maybe that starts with someone here today who doesn't know you, who wants to know the ruler of the universe who's not like so many earthly judges. Today they can start that right where they are by crying out to you, asking you to save them and to come into their life. And I pray they would do that right now. Lord, for others of us, give us a heart for prayer, a burden to pray together and to give you no rest. We ask that you'd be honored in all that's said and done. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. The splendor of the King Clothed in majesty Let all the earth rejoice All the earth rejoice He wraps himself in light And darkness trembles to hide and trembles at his voice and trembles at his voice how great is our God sing with me how great is our God and all will see how great how great Name above. 
our service just two reminders again I'd really encourage you as we talked about praying and not losing heart to make prayer a priority this week maybe grab your phone before you leave and set an alarm at a certain time or put it on a calendar at a certain time that may sound totally unspiritual but you plan for what matters to you <laughs> so set a time this week maybe a certain time during lunch or before breakfast or something to pray this week Consider joining us this Wednesday night as we pray. And if you have a prayer need, even unrelated to school, there's a box back there. Fill it out, drop it in, we'll make sure it gets prayed for this Wednesday. And as always, we've got giving in the back, both the regular giving baskets and the food uh, basket ministry back there. Thank you to those who give consistently to those things. And again, we're just so thankful to be together. Thankful that the band's back together. Amen. Yes. It's been good to worship with them, and we really appreciate you guys. And I'll put one more plug. If you would love to serve on worship team or tech team, we need you, <laughs> right? So please see Laura or see Carrie. We'd love to find a place, whether it's up here or behind the scenes, to serve. These folks serve us every week in and out so faithfully. So let's close with a benediction from God's Word. This from Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound.